Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of James. The New Testament book of James and James and chapter number 5. James and chapter number 5. We're continuing with our series of the book of Elijah and Elisha. And um, <laughs> of the series of the life and ministry of Elisha and Elisha. And... <coughs> We find our way, not in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Because Elisha was so uh, important and so integral within um, <coughs> the Old Testament, that it actually refers to him in his prayer life. Remember, Elisha was known for his prayer life. And so the Bible gives a New Testament commentary on it, and we find it in the book of James. The book of James in chapter number 5. Now, it's amazing how God lines things up, and I believe this message is very, very timely in concerns with the things that are going on today and in the matter of prayer. So look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of James, the New Testament book of James. If you're looking for it, you could find it to the very end. You start at Revelation and go back one book to the book of Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, the book of James, and then the book of Hebrews. So the book of James in chapter number 5. The book of James chapter number 5, and notice with me if you don't mind, the James chapter 5, and notice with me starting at verse number 13. James chapter 5 and verse 13, the word of God says this, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if the, and the Lord shall raise him up, if he have any, if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it may not might not rain, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of James chapter number 17? The book of James chapter, seven, or chapter 5 verse 17. James 5 17. Notice this, Elias was a man subject to like passions. Um, Elijah, Elias was a man subject to like passions. Of course, Elias is the New Testament spelling of Elijah. And with this, we want to understand Elijah, a man of like passions. Elijah, a man of like passions. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. 
a God who's worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be served. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would just open up your word in a special way. That you would open it up for us. That we could learn more about you and that we could prepare ourselves even for the days that we live in. And expect to see you answer prayers. Expect to see you work. That we can understand how you use the circumstances around us to draw us close to you. Even now, Lord, I'm asking to reckon myself dead. My goals, my desires, my thoughts, my intellects, I set them aside to you. And ask that you preach this own message using me as your vessel. Fill me with your precious spirit. And you get your own work accomplished. Let this message be a tremendous help to all those that hear. And that you could do something wonderful. Thank you again for letting us be here. In Jesus' name, amen. The New Testament is giving in commentary on an Old Testament character of Elijah. Now remember, Elijah was a historical figure. And oftentimes when we go through the Bible, sometimes we have in our minds that these Old, that these biblical people are great super Christians. That you take the Apostle Paul. Oh man, that was the greatest Christian who ever lived. Can you imagine Paul doing this and imagine doing this? Oh, look at what Paul do. And then you look at Paul's life and some people say, Well, I can never be a Paul, so why should I try? Some people look at Elijah and say, look at Elijah. Look at all the exciting things that happened. He prayed and God answered prayer. And God answered prayer here. And he did this and he stood before Ahab. But do you know that Elijah had problems just like you and I did? Do you know that Elijah went through depression? Is that something people go through? Do you know that he went through sadness? He went through heart? He went through disappointment? He went through heartaches? He went through the same thoughts we do. And this is giving us this passage here that Elisha was a man subject to like passions as we are. Meaning that he's in the same flesh as we are. He deals with the same things that we do. He deals with the same heartbreaks that we do. That Elijah, the Bible is trying to say, is not a super Christian. He is saying he's a normal person that he had a, sub, a supernatural God. A God that was able to do anything. Elijah who was wrong. Did you know Elijah was wrong and the Bible mentions he was wrong? Did you know the Apostle Paul was wrong and the Bible mentions he was wrong? Did you know Peter was wrong and the Bible mentions he was wrong? That's one of the great things about the Bible is that it doesn't whitewash. It points people's flaws out. Even those like David. David was a murderer. And so what we're saying here is that Elisha was not some super towering Christian. He was a person just like you and I who had his prayers answered. What this passage is trying to teach us and lead us into it is that you and I can have our prayers answered. You and I can see answers to prayer in the midst of different circumstances because Elijah was a man of like passions. And he saw some amazing prayers. Could you imagine... Think in your mind's eye, Elijah, go up to the king Ahab and said, listen, it's not going to rain until I say so. See you later. And disappeared. And it didn't rain. I mean, they had Elijah's face on milk cartons. Have you seen this man? And they're looking for him. He was the most wanted person for three and a half years. It did not rain because Elisha's prayer. 
Was it because Elisha was a super Christian? No, it was because God was a super God. God was able to answer prayers. When Elisha prayed on Mount Carmel, he prayed to God and fire came down. And then he prayed and guess what? Rain came. Three and a half years later. Here was a man who went through the same things that you and I did. Here's a man who went through great depression and wanted to commit suicide. And yet God answered prayers. And so with that basis that God wants to answer our prayers, just like he answered Elisha's prayers, he wants to answer our prayers and show that he is a super working God, that God comes and gives us a context here of dealing with prayer. And if you don't mind, I'd like to walk through this passage and I'd like to teach you some things dealing with prayer and some of the circumstances of prayer that is mentioned here. The very first thing I'd like to show you is the prayer for the sick. The prayer for the sick. Notice if you don't mind, as the Bible here gives some emphasis, notice with me in verse 13. Is any among you afflicted. That word afflicted carries the idea that there's infirmity, there's a sickness, there's something going on. It could be a physical thing, it could be an idea of a sickness or an illness, a virus, a cold. Is there any among you afflicted? What does the Bible say? Let him pray. Notice in verse 14, is any sick among you? The same thing here, let him pray. Verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Whenever anyone becomes sick, for any reason, the place to start is prayer. We have to learn to seek God first. You know what often happens when we get sick? Is that we try to hold it off ourselves until we get so sick that we can't handle it ourselves anymore. Then we pray. You know that if we prayed at the beginning, we might not have gotten so sick. God is trying to allow circumstances to pop up to give us a reason to ask for him. To give us a reason to go seek for him. To depend upon him. We seek God first because we recognize that sickness was there for a purpose. That God has something he wants to accomplish in our life because of that sickness. Whenever you study sickness in the Bible, you always notice that it is there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. Now we do know that the Bible is putting special emphasis on different sicknesses in the Bible. We do know that normal things happen. Just because you have a cold doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong with God. Just because you have the flu doesn't mean that you're just an ordinarily horrible person and God's trying to teach you a lesson. We know there's natural things. The rain uh, falls on the just and the unjust alike. But God does use sicknesses for a reason. And when you study the Bible and you see anyone that's sick, when God places an emphasis on that sickness, he's trying to show you a person that he's working on to bring to himself. Think about in the Bible, it mentions three times this incident, a woman with an issue of blood. Meaning that for 12 years she's hemorrhaging. For 12 years she hasn't been able to solve it. For 12 years she's seen every doctor and the Bible says that she spent her life savings. She spent everything she had on doctors and none of them could give her an answer. You know what that did is it got that lady desperate where she realized I need Jesus. And Jesus was working on her to see that she just didn't need a need for him for physical health. She needed him to have forgiveness of sins. That oftentimes in the Bible, God is showing he's using sickness 
to bring attention to someone's life that they need Jesus, that they need the Lord. And the Bible says that this type of prayer here is a seeking God prayer. God, what are you trying to get my attention for? God, what can I do? The Bible says that when the sickness comes, we need to pray. We need to pray for healing. And we need to pray, God, what are you trying to do through this? Trying to show that I have a need of God. That the Bible says there is a prayer for sickness. And the purpose of it is to bring him glory, to bring him honor. So we need to recognize and we need to get in the habit ourselves that when you start getting a little sore throat, why don't you pray? When you start getting that ill feeling and no symptoms have showed up yet, why don't you pray? But when things really start to get sick, why don't you pray and say, God, help me with this. Help me. Show me. I need you. Again, it is much better to pray when it's a little thing than when it's a bigger thing and everything's falling apart. But if you don't mind, I'd like to show you something else in this passage. Not only the prayer for the sick, but I want to show you the call for others who love the Lord to pray. Now, the Bible teaches something special and unique here that a lot of people seem to have a misunderstanding for. Notice with me in verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him, notice that him there, that's the person that's sick. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, the pastors, the leadership, pray over him, the one that's sick, anointing him, the one that's sick, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. This idea of save here carries the idea to deliver them from their circumstance shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed sin, they shall be forgiven of him. And so this is an important passage, one that's not used that often. But here it's talking about, as someone has already been talking to the Lord and seeking God for their sickness, they come to the place where it's not going to be healed. May I also pause? It's not always God's will to heal someone. It's not always God's will to heal someone. Sometimes it's just for the simple idea that they're not going to serve God. Why should God heal someone from the grave if they're going to use their life to say how bad God is for the rest of their life? Right? Why should he heal them? So God's trying to use that to get someone's attention, but he's, his will is not always to heal them. Sometimes God allows people to have afflictions and infirmities and not take it away because he wants them to realize his grace. Paul did that. Paul Pray to God three times that God would take the thorn that was in his flesh. To take it away from him. God, you know how bad this is bothering me. God, you need to take care of this. People say, what is that thorn in the flesh? We don't know. We do know that according to history, that Paul had an eye disease and it looked like his eyes were bulging out. Wouldn't that be kind of horrible when you kind of want that fixed? Paul also was beaten so many times that they said his back was broke. He is so hurting that he actually travels with a personal physician, Dr. Luke, wherever he goes. And that Dr. Luke is keeping him together. Don't you think you would pray for that too? But whatever it is, it could be something even more specific. But he prayed to God, Paul prayed to God three times that he would remove the thorn of the flesh. When God realized that Paul wasn't going to stop praying, you know what God did? He changed Paul's prayer. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul said, therefore, I will gladly uh, rejoice in my infirmities. 
Because I realize that God has done this for a reason. And this reason lets me realize I need him. That's a great thing. I need him. It's a reminder that I need Jesus. I can't do this myself. And so there are times that God doesn't heal. And sometimes that God wants to show something that he's bigger and better. Sometimes he may just need something to show that I need that reminder to depend on him. But as we come to this place here. A person's already praying, God, what are you going to do with the sickness? What are you trying to teach me? And they may come to the place that maybe this sickness won't be lifted from me. Maybe this sickness won't go away. And so the person comes to the place where they decide that with whatever health and life and strength that I have, I'm going to use whatever I have left to serve God. That is when they call for the elders. When they call for the elders, they're not doing this to call for the elders, say, Lord, take the sickness away from me. But it's actually a new dedication of life. It is saying, all right, I know that God may not heal me, but whatever health and life and strength I have, I'm going to use it to serve God. I'm calling for the elders to anoint me with oil. Uh, anointing for oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon person. It's a picture of someone dedicating themselves. And so they're saying, I'm dedicating myself for this new life that whatever health and life I strength I have, I'm going to serve God with it. I'm going to serve God with it. And I'm saying that I'm leaving the next life. I'm moving forward here and I'm just making an announcement with the elders. I'm calling for them so I can continue to go forward. This speaks about another person <laughs> excuse me, to using them to the place of, um, <coughs> excuse me, of working with them and saying, I want to serve God. Maybe I could give an illustration, maybe better. There's a person in uh, our recent history called J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee was a great teacher and he began a radio program. In fact, he's been dead for a while, but you could still find his radio program online. And J. Vernon McGee had developed cancer. And they said it was terminal. They said, you, you only have like a year or so to live. And so what J. Vernon McGee did is he said, you know what? I love the Bible and I love to teach the Bible. So with what health and life and strength that I have, I'm going to teach through the Bible as long as God allows me to from book to book, verse by verse, and I'm going to teach the Bible. Well, he taught through the Bible fairly rapidly. I think he went through it in one year and he was still alive. And he says, you know what? I'm still sick. They said that I'm still got another, or I'm going to die soon. But you know what? Whatever health and life and strength I'm going to have, I'm going to use it to serve God. And I'm going to teach the Bible. And I'm going to take my time this year. The next time it took him three years to teach it. And he's still alive. And then he did it again and taught through the Bible three years and did it again. And did it again. And did it again. And did it for a fifth time. Why? The doctors kept saying, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. But he says, whatever life and health and strength I'm going to have, I'm giving it all to God. And I'm going to dedicate myself to God. And whatever he does with that health and life and strength, that's up to him. I'm giving it to him. I'm allowing him to have it. That's what this passage is speaking about, is someone who comes to this idea and says, I'm not worrying about my health anymore. We all know people who are so worried about their health that they can't enjoy the life they have. That's all they think about all the time is, my toe, it hurts so bad. I don't know how I'm going to survive one more day with my toe like this. I'm exaggerating, but probably not my much. We know some people like that. 
There's some people that have legitimate injuries. And with their legitimate injuries, they can't enjoy the life that they have because it's all they think about. It's all they have. It's the consuming. And they're not doing anything with their life and they're missing what life they have. This is talking about someone who says, God has given this to a reason. And I may not know the reason, but I'm going to trust God. And so whatever health and life and strength I have, I'm going to dedicate it to God. And to make it as a public invitation, and that's what this is talking about, is making a public thing. I'm going to go tell my pastor. Pastor, can you come over? Pastor, I don't know how much health I have left, but I want to use it for the Lord. Will you pray for me that I could use my health to the Lord? Can you pray for me that I dedicate myself, that whatever life and health and strength I have, I may just have another week. I may not have another couple years. Who knows? I'm going to use it for God. Will you pray for me? And that's where the pastor will get the other leadership, deacons, trustees to come in and say, we're going to pray for this man. And we're going to dedicate him to the Lord that God can help him with whatever life he has left. He's going to use it for the Lord. Notice again what it says with that context. Verse 14. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. This is carrying the idea that he may not get completely healed, but he's going to use the life he has to serve God. And when you use your health to serve God, God will make it count. He'll make it matter. You understand what we're talking about here is that God allows sickness in our life for a reason. Can you trust him? Can you depend upon him? Can you trust that God knows what he's doing? Nothing goes across his desk without his approval. The Bible talks about in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Can you trust him? Not everything may be good, but God, can God use it for good? Can God use that to get across what he wants? Again, it's a different mentality. Most of us know someone who cannot enjoy what little precious life they have because they're just looking at how bad they hurt. And I'm not talking about that the hurt is imaginary. I'm saying the hurt is real. But God can give you grace beyond measure. He can give you grace when it doesn't make sense. He could cause it so that way it doesn't hold you back from serving God. We all know people, or I hope that you know someone, who has dedicated themselves to the Lord that you know is hurting, but they still serve God anyways. May I tell you a principle? Just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. Just because you're hurting, you don't have to be grumpy about it. You don't have to make everyone miserable around you. But in fact, you could be such an inspiration and encouragement to other people because you're still willing to serve God when they know you're hurting. When they know that you have something legitimate. There's something about that type of faith that I'm trusting God. And God gives you grace. He can allow you to smile and enjoy life even though you're hurting. Even though you're legitimately sick. This is what this passage is talking about. That God, first of all, he allows sickness for a reason. What are you going to do with that reason? 
Well, I'm going to use what health I have and I'm going to serve God with it. And I'm going to go forward. I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm not going to go backward, but I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to keep moving forward. If I fall, I'm going to fall forward. But I'm always going to go forward because God's so good to me. This is that prayer, this healing here. But then I also want to bring your attention to something. The heal of the sin sick. The healing of the sin sick. Notice with me at the end of verse number 15. It says, if he, and if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven of him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. So what this does is it brings us to another point here of sin sickness. We know that we as humans are made up of three parts. We're made up of spirit, we're made up of soul, and we're made up of body. In our spirit, that is where the candle of the Lord is. Everyone has a candle of the Lord, but when you get saved, the candle gets lit. A candle is a candle whether it's lit or not. But God has made it so all of us have a spirit when we get saved, when we get forgiven of our sins, when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, the candle becomes lit. The Holy Spirit comes within us. With our spirit, we are God conscience. It's our communion with God. It's our fellowship with God. In our soul, we have three parts. We're made up of will, intellect, and emotion. Will, intellect, and emotion. And then with our body, we have our five senses. With our spirit, we're God conscience. With our soul, we're self-conscious. With our body, we are world conscience. Now, all three of those things are not exclusive to each other, but they impact each other. Meaning if there's something wrong with one part, it affects the other too. For example, if there's something physically wrong with me, let's say that I have back problems, which I legitimately do, your physical health can affect your mental health. We all know people who, because they hurt, it changes the way they think. They think differently because of the pain, the sickness they have. Your physical health can also cause you problems with your spiritual health. We know that there are some people who have legitimately uh, mental problems, mental things, something's gone on. And it affects their physical health do you know that depression can affect your physical health? Absolutely. Do you know that your mental health can actually affect your spiritual health? Absolutely. Then as the Bible is putting emphasis here, our spiritual health can affect our mental health, how we think and how we feel, and our physical health. That here it's talking about, here is someone who is not right with God. Someone that has a sin with God and they refuse to get right with God. So what God does is he allows them to have health problems stemming from that spiritualness. We see that all throughout the Psalms. How someone not right with God, it could first of all affect our mental health, our emotional health. But then it could manifest itself into a physical form. Meaning that because you're not right with God, it could affect who you are. Maybe I could give an example. I worked hospitals and ERs for many, many years. And sometimes we'd work with a patient and we can have two patients who have the same condition, the same things, and one lives and one dies. And you say, what causes that? The mindset. There are some people that give up and then their body gives up. There may not be anything physically wrong with their body. They just gave up and their body gives out. 
But there are some people that say, listen here, I'm going to live and I'm going to go forward. And their body recovers because of their mind. All three parts affect each other. If someone is right with God, they could be right in their body and they could be right in their mind and their heart. But if there's something off in one of those three, it will affect the other three. In this passage here, it's talking about sickness that is caused because of sin. Sin has entered someone's life. God has rebuked them. He's convicted them and they refuse to get right. He has tried to work with them. He's tried to warn them. They refuse to get right. And now it is manifested. And so the Bible says, if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven of him. And now it's talking about the idea of prayer. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Now, what it's talking about here is that we need to find some way to get right with God and stay right with God. And God has provided a way through accountability. Now, here it's not talking about that man has the ability to uh, absolve your sins. For example, I'm a preacher. I'm not a priest. And you could come and tell me about all your sins, but I can't do anything about it. I can't splash some water on you or slap you in the face or your forehead and make things all better. That's between you and the Lord. You need to fix that out. However, I can provide something called accountability. So let's say that someone is, has a problem with pornography. And you understand that pornography changes the way someone thinks. And it can become an addiction like any other drugs and alcohol. And so someone could get to the place that says, I can't quit. I want to quit. I know I shouldn't. I tell my mind not to do this, but I can't stop. But if you provide someone with accountability, someone come up and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. Or someone else that you trust, an accountability partner, a spouse, a friend, a relative, a co-worker, someone that you trust and say, can you help me with this? Absolutely. And they could ask you the question, have you been watching what you've been watching? Or do, you know, there's different ways of keeping accountability. Maybe someone wants to quit drugs and alcohol and they know how much of an addiction it has on them and they may want to quit, but they can't quit themselves. Someone could provide accountability. You tell them and say, can you help me? It can maybe be something as simple as, I know I need to be reading the Bible and God tells me to read my Bible. And I show up to church and the crazy preacher every week says the greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the word of God myself. And I want to read my Bible and I don't understand why I'm not reading my Bible. Can you help me? Yes. And you can provide accountability. It could be something as simple as every week saying, hey, have you been reading your Bible? Or calling you up, hey, did you read your Bible? Maybe someone's having a problem with laziness. That never happens. I have a hard time getting up. I heard one guy said that he named his bed the Word. So every time his pastor called him and said, can you show up to this meeting? I can't, I'm in the Word. <coughs> all right, it's all right. But you know, someone has a hard time waking up and the alarm doesn't wake them up. What if someone could call them and say, can I help you? What we're showing is that there are different ways of using accountability. That's what this passage is talking about. If someone is struggling with sin and God is getting a hold of their attention, they could tell someone else and someone could help provide accountability so they could become the person they ought to have and get victory over the thing they cannot conquer on themselves. Does that make sense? So that way they can be healthy. They can get themselves away from this sin sickness. This instruction here. This is a type of prayer that we can talk to God with. And that we can get healing inside of our body and our soul. 
Which brings me to one last thing here. Here we see the effectual fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer. So we had started off by talking about sickness. That sickness comes for a reason. There's a reason why it comes. God's allowed it into our life. And it's not because he's mean and because he hasn't picked on his quota for today. But God has a reason for it. We also know that God wants to answer prayer. And we could ask him, God, what do you want me to do? And we could come to the place that says, God, no matter what happens to me, whatever life and health and strength that I have, I'm going to use it to serve you and God can can provide grace. We also talked about as a practical idea that in order to keep us from having sin sickness, having a physical ailment manifested because we're not right with God, that we could do something practical of having accountability with us. Having someone that can check on us and help us develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Of following after him. Which brings us to this last thing. We all started with the idea that Elijah was a man of like passions. He was just like you and me. But he had prayers answered. What made his prayer life different than ours? And the Bible says quite simply. The effectual fervent Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What is this? Well, let's take it word by word. We start by the word effectual. The word effectual means effective. To carry uh, the idea of seeing results. We can learn to pray to God effectively. Do you know that there's effective ways to pray and there's ineffective ways to prayer? Let me give you an example of an ineffective way to prayer that lots of us get stuck with. Let's say that I was going to talk to my daughter, Krista, and say, Krista, what I need you to do is I need you when we're done, Krista, is I need you to turn off the coffee pot, Krista, and then Krista, what I need you to do is to dump the coffee out, Krista, and then what I want you to do is put water in there, Krista, Krista, and then splash it out. Then Krista, what I want you to do is put it back on the coffee pot where you found it at, and then Krista, what I want you to do, you see what I'm doing there? Is I'm saying her name over and over. Does she not know her name? Do I need a reminder over and over so she doesn't forget what her name is? You know how often we say the word Lord in prayer? And what we're doing is we're using that as a filler word. We're using that because sometimes we don't know what to say, so we just say Lord. But you know we're actually breaking one of the Ten Commandments, talking to God in prayer? The Bible says not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word vain carries the idea of empty or light. It carries the idea that we're saying his name with our lips without it currently burning in our hearts. And so what we're doing is something as facetious as saying someone's name over and over and over. But she doesn't need to be reminded what her name is. You would be surprised of how effectual... And cleaned up your prayer life would be if you didn't use God's name over and over and over. Now I'm giving you a small example. That there are ways in the Bible teaches how to be effective in our prayer life. May I give you another example? Another way of being effective in prayer? Is that nothing is ever dynamic until it is first specific. Nothing is ever dynamic till it's first specific. What do I mean by that? That most of the time when we pray, we have general, gen, uh, oh, uh, non-specific prayers, uh, general prayers. All right. 
So, Lord, bless all the missionaries. God says, I have. There's nothing dynamic about it. There's nothing specific about it. You're not asking for anything. You may feel better because I prayed for the missionaries. What'd you pray for them about for? What would you ask? Nothing. You didn't ask for anything. God bless my teacher. Okay. Good. You see, we're not specific. How should I pray for the missionaries? God, allow them the opportunity to win people to the Lord. God, help the missions and the ministries that they're trying to start with you. Give them the power. Give them wisdom and discernment. I meant you should pray for your pastor. How do I pray for my pastor? God bless the preacher. Well, God's already blessed me. Just ask me, right? How are you doing? I'm blessed. Well, in order to be effective in our prayers, we have to be specific. How do I pray for my pastor? Pray for him that he reads his Bible today. What do you mean I got to pray for my preacher to read the Bible? Hey, you struggle trying to read your Bible. I love to read my Bible. It's not that I don't want to read my Bible. It's that sometimes the biggest enemy of the ministry is the ministry. I can get so busy doing things for God that I fail to spend time with God. I could take this Bible, and many preachers end up doing this, using it as a sermon book. The only time I open it up is to find next week's sermon. Well, I'm not reading it for myself. Then I'm going to die spiritually inside. And if I die spiritually inside, I bring everything else down. Does it make sense? There are effective ways to pray. God, help Krista to be, pay attention in class. That she would have a good spirit in class. That she would learn what she needs to learn. And that she could hide it in her heart. Isn't that better than saying, God, help Krista have a good day. You see, and there's different ways. It's why we teach on prayer. is because we want to teach people how to be effective in their prayers. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, first of all, if we're going to want to see our prayers answered, we need to learn how to be effective in our prayers. And there's much more ways, more tips to be effective. So, the effectual, fervent prayers. Now, here comes something else. The word fervent carries the idea of heated passion. When's the last time you were passionate in your prayer life? Most people even sound monotone in their prayer life. God, thank you for this food. Hurry up, rub-a-dub-dub, I'm ready for my grub. There's no passion. There's no fervency. There's no heatedness. We usually have a take it or leave it religion and we'll leave it every time. It's not that big of a deal. God, you know, we, we get to the place where we, we all know what the words to say. We know what we're supposed to do. Lord, thank you for the offering. Please bless it. Thank you. Amen. I meant we got the ritual down, but God's not interested in ritual. That's what the whole definition of vain praying is. The word vain is empty. And there are some people that say vain prayers all the time, but there has no meaning behind it. They just say, this is the time I'm supposed to say this. Have you ever had someone where they weren't paying attention to their prayer and they're supposed to be praying for, um, praying to go to bed, but they pray for the food instead? It's happened, right? You're not paying attention to what you're praying for? The idea of, of fervent praying is passionate praying. 
getting a hold of God. God, I need you to do this. You see what's going on in our country and we need you to help. This is how I want you to help. But to pray with passion, with heatedness, with fervency. That's what we've lost. That's what the difference is. There's no emotion in our prayer. You say, but emotion's bad. Emotion's not bad. The Bible talks about in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. It says, they that sow in tears shall reap with joy. They that goeth forth bearing and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with them rejoicing, bringing their sheaves. You understand? The Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap with joy. When do you, when do you tear up? When you're praying for someone, Lord, please save Tanya. Lord, save Tanya. Please let her realize that she's a sinner. Let her willingly accept that gift. Lord, do whatever it takes to get her saved. Lord, please, where's our passion? The effectual, fervent prayer. You say, well, I'm just not an emotional person. Yeah, you get your favorite sports team on and you'll hoop and holler. Yes, Green Bay's losing. Yes. Oh, wait, it's the opposite way here. Oh, you get your favorite video game. Come on, come on, come on. And you start losing. Come on, throw the controller. There's some emotion there. You can't say you're not an emotional person. Why can't you use it for the Lord? Where you're fervently getting a hold of God. God, I need you to work. I need you to... To do something. Lord please heal our land. We wonder why our prayers don't get answered. We wonder why it doesn't feel useless to pray our prayers. It's because there's no passion. There's no fervent. There's no heatedness. This type of prayer is actually talking about. Where you start sweating. Where you're praying so fervent. So heated that you're outside in Wisconsin. And the cold air doesn't bother you. Because you're just so passionate for the Lord. When's the last time you were that passionate with God and had such a need you needed to see Him and you were grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar and saying, God, I need you. Please, God, you've got to do something. You've got to spare them. They don't know where they're going. They're headed to destruction. God, change their ways. Change their path. Put a hedge of protection. When's the last time you grabbed a hold and was so fervent and heated? The effectual, fervent Prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Here's the third part of it. Not only the effectual, effectual part of the prayer. Not only the fervent part of the prayer. But the righteous part of the prayer. To be right with God. This is where it all goes back to the idea of the sin sickness. This idea of having our sins forgiven. Having the idea that I know I'm right with God. You know, when you are totally right with God, when you are clean, you have no problems approaching a holy God. You could go to his throne room of grace boldly, as the Bible says. But when you have sin in your life, you're like Adam, who's hiding in the garden. And God has to search for you. There's a timidness that comes that you, I need to ask this, but God, if you want, maybe, can you maybe think about maybe almost working this out? That's wimpy praying. You know where it comes from? Because we're not right. We can be right with God. When someone is right with God, we can expect to have our answers to prayer. 
When we have good fellowship with Jesus Christ and we're walking with him. The Bible talks about this in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. If we're right with God, we can expect our prayers to be answered. But there's something about being thoroughly right with God. Something about it. Notice with me this passage again in the light of being right with God. Verse 15 is, or 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any among, any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means a lot of things will happen. God is putting emphasis on us being right with God. And he puts our attention. Sometimes it's because of sickness. It's conviction or something else. But God wants us to be right with God. And when we're right with God, we can expect answers to prayer. Having that clear fellowship with God. Why do we not have prayers answered? Why do we have a hard time going to the throne of grace? Why do we sometimes give up on prayer because we feel like it doesn't work? Because our prayers are not effective. Our prayers are not fervent. And we're not right. But if those three line up, Elisha was a man of like passions as we were. He struggled with the same life that we had. But God answered amazing prayers because he was right with God. He was effective in praying. By the way, effective in prayer doesn't mean that you use a lot of words. If you go back to Mount Carmel, you could see he's preached, he prayed a simple prayer and fire came down from heaven. It wasn't a several page prayer. If I, I'm not remembering the exact number of words, but it could have been just 40 words. That's it. That's it. Fire came down from heaven. The effectual, fervent, the passionate prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In this time, we've got a lot of fear and a lot of sickness going on. Why is God allowing this? Because he's trying to get people's attention. And he's not just trying to get those that are not saved attention. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, wake up. There's something more to this. You can't go the way that you're going today. Something needs to happen, and it's only going to happen by prayer. Will you pray? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero. 
530-630-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.